Me and my family, we have a Christmas tradition. I know it's not Christmas, but this is our tradition. Every year we go down to Tyson Wells Game Shop. Um, if you don't know where that is, it's in Tyson Wells. Everyone know where that is, though. Big tent. Okay, well, they have a little shop there, the main shop. And they have a game thing. And Kim over there, he is a game guy. Like, he knows every game. If you go in there, you ask him about, and he's in. You ask him, how do you play this game? He will open it. It's a great thing. So we started this tradition where we would go every Christmas and get a board game for the family. And so we, last year we got this one called, uh, it's like Western something, and you are, you could be a desperado, you could be a, a lawman, and you, you just play this out against each other. A couple of years ago, we had this game called uh, Tapestry, and in that game, you're basically playing it by yourself. You start as a, a small civilization, and you build up, and you're playing against yourself, but you're also playing against the other players, and you have to... The way you win is you get to the end, the final stage. But if they're still playing, they could still beat you. And so you have to watch what they're doing and play at your own pace at the same time. And so we always do this um, this uh, board game. And so this past year, or this past Christmas, we had to play. It took us over three hours to play because we forgot how to do it. And by the time we were done, we realized... Oh, that's how you're supposed to play the game. And so, you know, it's, but it was a fun game. Um, but what gets me with board games is I started looking at all the different people's lists of the best board games or the most iconic board games or you know, your top ten board games. And things like the Game of Life, Clue, uh, Scrabble were all on those. But on every single top, in the top five, you know what, the, what it was? Monopoly. Monopoly was always in the top five. Yeah, and it's the one board game that growing up, I know my family played. Like, we all played that game. And I liked it. It's a, it's a fun game. I've, we still play it. We have different types of Monopoly. We have, like, a Star Wars one. We have, we have a Quartzite one. Yeah, we have a Quartzite one. Um, and so we have all, all these different types of Monopolies. And growing up, um, I like it because there, there is strategy to it. Um, I don't know if you know this, but there are certain roles that are going to always happen, and so they're very consistent. And so you can actually base your turn on what you're going to do based on where your opponent is on the board. And, okay, so more, you know, they're probably going to roll within these numbers, and so they're going to land within here. Well, that's one of my places. So I'll put a, a house now for the chance of them to come over, right? And so there's a lot of strategies that go on with it. So I would play with my family growing up, and I was one of those people that loved the game, so I wanted to keep the game going, right? Um, yeah, yeah. And so, but there's a point in that game where um, divorces happen and um, family relationships die, Okay. <laughs> And I would always go past that point. And so my mom came up with this little thing. Because what I like to do is, hey, if I'll make deals with you. So if you land on here, you can't afford it. Hey, next time we come around and I land on yours, then we'll call it even, right? So these are the things I do. So my mom came up with this little title she used of me. And I don't think it's a good title. But she would always say, uh, she would just say, you're Satan. <laughs> making these deals 
that seem beneficial to me, but are not. And so then, you know, got out of the house and everything, and I started playing with my wife. And she goes, you know what? Your mom's right. <laughs> because I, I just, it's just fun um, to make these deals because we just keep prolonging the thing. Play the game of just take the opportunities. You know, when something comes up, you're like, man, that might hurt me right now, but I know in the long run it's going to help me. Right. You know, and so, um, but it's this idea of being an opportunist, right, in the board game that I think makes it so much fun. But it's that, what, what we're going to talk about today, is to take opportunities that God gives us. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Judges chapter 4, and we're going to be looking at verses 44 through 22. And as we get into Judges 4, uh, let's talk, we're in the middle of our, our you yeah, know, we're in the middle of our series, we're in the third week, we have one more week to go in this series of what we're calling useful arrows. And so starting off the new year, um, how are we going to be useful to God? Okay, so that's what we're kind of talking about. And so in the first week, we talked about this guy, his um, name is Eliezer, and he was the, the uh, he was a servant of Abraham that was tasked to go get a wife for Abraham's son. And so what we saw in his life was a desire to do the will of, of his master. He loved his master. He didn't look at his master as someone that he could gain a lot from financially, but he loved him. He inquired of his master's will and he did it. And so we talked about how as disciples of Jesus, we need to do the same thing. We need to be, the will of God needs to be the, the greatest thing in our life. And I was thinking about this week, um, how can we put this, um, because all these things work together. And so really, it's like the, the car, like the car in your driver. That is the will of God, okay? The thing, um, we'll walk through that a little bit. So the car, the will of God, all right? In the second week, we looked at the warrior Caleb. And Caleb was this guy, he was one of the 12 spies that went into Canaan to check it out. He was only one of two that came out and said, yes, we can take this land because God is with us. And so because of that, God said, I'm going to give Caleb his own little piece. And so fast forward that when Caleb's 85 years old, God gives him that. He fulfills that promise. And so we talked about how Caleb had this undeterred trusting that God would fulfill his promises. And we talked about how we need to do that too. We need to trust that what God wills is true. Okay, and so if we're going back to that car, the car is the will. The trust is getting into the car and t starting it up. All right? But then this week, we're going to talk about getting on the road. All right? So Judges chapter 4, um, starting in verse um, 4. And just to let you know, uh, two things. One, um, I'm going to be starting reading out of the ESV, the English Standard Version. The reason why is because I could not find, I've never been able to find the last five years, an NIV that matched the NIV up there. Okay? So now they match. Second thing, we are in the Old Testament. So, like I said before, everything that, all the names I say are going to be, book is actually what we're going to go through this summer, uh, through our summer series. So, um, but here we go. Starting in verse 4. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at the time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. 
she sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam, um, from Kadesh Nephetili, and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? Go gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Mount, uh, from Nephetili and the people of Zebulun, and I, and I will draw Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand. Barak said to her, If you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. And he said, and she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. And Barak called out Zebulun, uh, Zebulun and Nephetili to Kadesh. And 10,000 men went up on his hills, and Deborah went up with him. Hills. Heels. Heels. Right? Now, Heber, or Heber, the Kenite, has separated from the Kenites, and descendants, the descendants of Hoab, the father-in-law of Moses, and had pitched his tent as far as the oak in Zananeum, which is near Kadesh. When Sisera was told the, that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera called out all his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, all the men who were with him from Herosheth, Haganoim, to the river of Kishon. And Deborah said to Barak, Up, for this is the day in which the Lord has given. And the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army before Barak, but the, by the edge of the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled away on foot. And Barak pushed uh, pursue the chariots and the army to Haresheth Agonoim and all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword not a man was left but Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of Jael the wife of Heber the Kenite for there was peace between Jabin and the king of Hazor and the house of Heber the Kenite and Jael came out to meet Sisera and said to him turn aside my lord turn aside to me do not be afraid so he turned aside to her into the tent, and he covered, and she covered him with a rug. And he said to her, Please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. So she opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him. And he said to her, Stand at the opening of the tent, and if any man comes and asks you, Is, there, is anyone here? Say no. But Jael, the wife of Hebrews, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand, then she went softly to him and drove the pig into his temple until it went down into the ground while he was lying fast asleep from weariness. So he died. And behold, as Barak was pursuing Sisera, Jael went out to meet him and said to him, Come, I will show you the man whom you are seeking. So he went in to her, into her tent, and, they, and there lay Sisera dead with the tent pig in his temple. So you have this whole situation, right? And I, I love the book of Judges. And the reason why is because the book of Judges to me is really, it's the, it shows kind of the life cycle of both Israel and of the individual believer. So the book of Judges, if you don't know, uh, we need, need to back up into the book of Deuteronomy. De Deuteronomy, like we talked about last week, you have this new generation of Israelites coming up and they agree to be God's covenant people. And so they go in and they take the land of, of Canaan through Joshua. Like Joshua leads them up, and that's where Caleb comes into the story. 
But then you get into the book of Judges, and there begins to be a cycle. The cycle of we're God's people, and then we rebel against God by doing the things of the land. And we get into trouble, and we let that go for a while. And then we cry out to God, and it continues. He saves us, and then it starts again. Like there's this cycle. And I always see that as we see that throughout Israel's history, we get into Samuel, we get into the kings, and there is this cycle. And it gets longer and longer of being in rebellion against God until the point of the exile. And so this whole thing, but it's also in us. Like as believers, we can, we can do this. There are times in our lives where we falter and we go, God, you know, I'm just going to do my own thing for a bit. And then we go, you know what, God, this is wrong. And we cry out to God. And God's like, I'm right here. There's forgiveness from God. And so there's kind of this cycle within us as well. Except the, hopefully as we're growing, just because it just in a, in a few, in several chapters, it just shows us this cycle. Um, and that's one of the reasons why we're going to be talking about this summer. But when we come to this point in the story, uh, right before this, it says that God sold Israel into the hands of the Canaanites. And that, that idea there is slavery, that he is allowing Israel to go into slavery because they are going into bondage. Apart from God's covenant is bondage. You know, and so with God in his covenant is freedom but apart from god is bondage this is the new covenant with with believers with the church that when we're under the new covenant that is through the cross there's freedom and the scriptures say absolute freedom right but when we're away from christ we're in bondage we're in sin and so this is the same thing in israel when they're with god they're under the covenant there there is freedom there but when they're apart from god they're in bondage and so that's the language that God used. I've sold you to the Canaanites, right? And so he uses that language. And so this is where now we come to Deborah. And Deborah is a judge. She is a prophetess. She's actually fulfilling the role um, that Moses did in Exodus 18, where Moses was a judge over Israel. And so she's fulfilling that role that God had designed. And so she sits under this place that eventually became known as the Palm of Deborah because it probably was a palm tree. And she was sitting there, and this is where Israel would come to have their judgments done, just like they did with um, Moses in uh, Exodus 18. And so there's a lot more to this, and uh, most feed in the summertime, but we're not going to do that here. Because Barak's story is the thing that we're going to be talking about today. Now, Barak is an interesting character because if you notice in the story, he doesn't come willingly. He is summoned. Okay? He is summoned by Deborah. Okay? So, he comes to Deborah because she is a prophetess at this point. She is a, a judge. So, he comes to her because she does have authority. And what's interesting is what she says to him. And she says, has not the Lord commanded? That's not a statement. That's a question. And she goes into what the rest of it is. To grab 10,000 men and go and fight. So she asks this question, which gives us an insight into what happens with Barak. So she asks him, has not the Lord commanded you? You know what that means? That at some point before that, God had spoken to Barak. Now we don't get that interaction. 
But God had spoken to Barak to say, you are to get the 10,000 to go out and to fight against the Canaanites. But because Deborah's asking him now, we know that he didn't do it. Right? He didn't do it. And so he was now summoned by someone that God told to summon. And he comes and she says, why didn't you do it? Has not the Lord commanded? And so his response is, if you go up with me, if you go up with me, then I'll go. And her response is, I will. That's really interesting, right? She goes, I'll do it. And so, but she says there's a caveat. You're not going to get the glory that God intended for you. It's going to fall to a woman. About this story. They, always, they put it into this context of this. Um, when a man doesn't step up, a woman will. Okay? I don't think that's what the story's talking about. I do agree that I think it, there is that. And I think one of my pet peeves is, guys, guys, we, we are a problem. In the sense of this. Since Adam, we tend to not step up into the role that God has called us to. And I truly believe that the Bible is not written to women, it's written to men. That guys follow God. Because, I'll just give you an example that I give in our apologetics class. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, you'll see this thing, husbands love your wives. I use that in when I do marriage ceremonies, because it's a really important passage. But if you read through that, and you go all the way down, and you follow it, and you get down to love your children... Right? Children, respect and obey your parents. Okay. If you read through that, the majority of those passages, you know what they're written to? Men. Men. You know why? Because we have a thick skull. Let's be honest, guys. Right? We, we need to step up. And our, this is my, now my opinion. Our society is messed up because men advocate their... Are they... What's that word? Abdicate. Okay, their role. Okay, so I think there's a big problem. So I think the Bible's written mostly to men. Um, and what do we see in this passage? We do see that. We see a, a guy abdic- abdicating his responsibility. Right? But I don't think it's a, a guy versus woman thing. Okay, I don't think that's it. But it's almost as if Deborah's saying, you know what? You, Barack, are supposed to be out there fighting. That is your role as a guy, right? So your glory is going to be given to someone that shouldn't even be on the battlefield. And that woman is not Deborah. A lot of people, when I've heard talk about this, they think Deborah is the one who gets the glory. And it's not. It's this girl, this this wife named Jael. She gets the glory. Now, I want to prove that because the next, after this whole thing, and we're going to come back to some of this, but after this whole thing happens, right, there's a song that's, that gets sung by Deborah and by Barak. They both sing this song. It comes in Judges chapter 5. So if you flip over to Judges chapter 5, you drop down to verse 24, okay? They go through this, the song goes through everything that we read. And it kind of leaves out the fact that, you know, Brock didn't do what he was supposed to do at the beginning. 
because, you know, Barack's singing this, and he's like, I don't want to look bad. But then it comes to the very end, verse 24, and they say, they sing, okay? This is Deborah and Barack. They sing, most blessed of women be Jael. Okay, now I just want to stop with that real quick. Okay? If you were here for, through our Christmas series, we talked about Mary's song. Okay? And right before Mary makes this song, she meets her um, relative Elizabeth. Now, if you know that story, do you know what the first thing Elizabeth says to Mary? Blessed are you among women. This idea of blessed, it's a huge honor. Gigantic. It's saying you, what you have done, should be talked about for centuries. Just... This is such a huge thing. And so when Elizabeth says it to Mary, she's saying, because you trusted in God and you are walking in this, you are blessed among women. And it is truly a huge blessing, right, to have the Savior, right? But here, that's what they're saying. They're saying, you, Jael, are blessed among women. This is a huge honor for her. And so they start out her verse, her stanza with that upon her. He asked for water and she gave him milk, which is just, she is, I, that, I don't know if you've ever been out working, sweating. I hate drinking milk when you're in that situation because it feels like it's gummy, it's not helping you, you want water, right? And that's what he asked for. He asked for water and she's like, nah, milk. You know, so real smart. She brought him curds in the noble's bowl, she sent her, she sent her hand to the tent peg and her right hand to the woman uh, to the workman's mallet. She struck Sisera. She crushed his head. She shattered and pierced his temple. Between her feet he sank. He fell. He lay still. Between her feet he sank. He fell. Where he sank, there he fell dead. And so that's where this song ends, is with her. And so this is that glory. Here's this girl who should not have been anywhere a part of this battle getting this huge glory that was supposed to be for Brock. And so I don't think it's a, a woman versus man type of thing. I think it's this. It's follower versus defier. We look at we look at Barack. Let's look at him real quick. Here's a guy, right? Here's a guy that is called by God. We know that because Deborah says, has not the Lord commanded. So he had already been called by God to do something. And he said, no. Right? Either by words or by deed, he says no against God. And it takes the summoning for him to even acknowledge that God has called him to do something. And then, so he's denied God once. He's come before the, the judge and now he says, okay, I'll go, but you have to go with me. Now, it really, it wouldn't be proper for her to go. And so maybe, he probably said this, this is what I'm thinking, is he's saying this because she ain't going to go. No, I'm good, I'll be let off. And when she goes, okay, well now, he's got to go. Because here this lady's got more gumption than he does. So now, okay. And then she responds with, but, right? You're not going to get the glory that God has intended for you. And so now they go and you watch Barak in the story. 
He doesn't go, okay, let, okay, now that we're here, let's get this right. It's Deborah that has to say, okay, now go. Right? And so this guy is setting up one thing that does not do anyone. He has to be handheld to go out to the battle, even though God's with him. You know, there's a problem I see in Barack's life that too often, as a pastor, I see in a lot of people's lives. I get asked a lot, Pastor, can you help me in this? I'll give you an example of this. Years ago, um, I took over... um, I was in the transition period of taking... um, uh, walking into this position. And I had a gentleman come up, and he said to me, I just want you to know, Pastor, that at any time, if I'm talking to someone about, about the gospel... I should be able to call you and you come share the gospel with them. And I said, I have no problem doing that, but that's not my job. Your job is to share the gospel with them. I have no problem talking to anyone. We'll talk, we'll sit, we'll have hours of conversation if I have that available. That's not the problem. The issue is, God has, if you accept Jesus as your Savior... The Holy Spirit indwells you. you That's more than enough qualifications to do anything. The, my degree, my title does not give me any more access to God than anyone else. And it's the same thing with Deborah. There is nothing that Deborah had access to that Barak couldn't say, Okay, God. And so it's it, don't think of this person or anyone that's puts into a position of pastoral leadership as if they are higher than anyone else in the body of Christ. We are all servants of God. Okay, So that is a problem that I see in Barack's life and I see too often in, in Christians' lives. Okay, We all have access to the scriptures, which is phenomenal in our day. Okay, So Barack has this problem and he's putting things in front of God saying, no, no, no. And here's this girl, this, this wife. I want to just call her girl. She's a, she's a grown woman. And she gets an opportunity to do something. Now, we're not told that God told her anything. But she takes the opportunity. And she takes the tent peg and she smashes it into his head. A violent thing. But she is also cunning with the milk. Puts him asleep. He's tired. A little warm milk. He's gone. <laughs> Literally. He's like, Ch-. he's gone. Because she takes him out. And so, that's a huge thing. One had to be brought along to finally do the opportunity that God had set out for him. And the other one didn't even have to be prompted by God. You know, there are so many things that God has told us to do that we don't have to go, God, should I do this? Right? He says, love your neighbor as yourself. I don't have to go, man, my my neighbor's struggling over there. God, should I help? Okay, you get back on me. I'll just wait. Man, they're really struggling. Wow, I think he just broke his leg. Should I call 911, God? You know, like we too often, we ask God things that he's already said do. 
And so this is why it's so important to read the scriptures. So we know before even, I don't have to ask God, God, should I do something good here? Now, there are certain things in my life where I've already discussed it with God, and I know that if I did something, I should not do that. One of those things is money. I don't give money to um, people on the side of the road because I have already talked about that with God. I'm like, God, should I? Because I will. If God says do it, then that's my job. I can't tell him no, right? It's his will. But that is something that we've already talked about. There have been times, though, when I've been driving and there'd been something, someone on the side of the road, and, like a panhandler, and God's like, you know what? You have a piece of uh, candy bar? Give that to them. Okay. Like, in those situations, but that's unique. Right? And so, I, I don't have to ask God on every little thing. Now, there are things I need to do, and when God gives me opportunities, I'm like, okay, God, this is you, right? You want me to do this? Okay, let's do this. Right? I don't need to go and ask someone else. So if God's prompting you and He's telling you to do something, you don't go, you know, God, just wait. We'll just wait. Let me ask Jeremiah. Let me ask this person. Because now what you've done is you put me in the position of God. Don't ever do that, please. God is God. We are servants. Okay? So don't put... and Because now you've also put me... And I'm now, you know, or the pastor or whoever is now your excuse for, for not doing God's will. And I've seen this in a lot of different ways, like the pastor situation, but also things like, um, well, I have not really read up on that, God, so I'm not going to go talk about that. And, and sometimes um, when that someone said, you know, I'm not really, don't, I, I have this, this, the Spirit is saying, you know, that's my job. It's to speak through you. And so I would encourage you, and one of the things we do in our church is we do an apologetics class. We, we study and we prepare. This is the sharpening of the arrow. And so we're talking about being a useful arrow. An arrow is sharp because the, it, the archer has sharpened it. And so as the difference between me and an arrow is I have to take responsibility. God, sharpen me, right? And so I, I study, I talk, I do things that would sharpen me. I read the scriptures because it sharpens me so that I can be prepared when those opportunities come. But I got to be looking for the opportunities. God, what's an opportunity? And the way I've done this in my life is through First Thessalonians um, 5. So in 1 Thessalonians 5, you might have heard this verse. This is a very popular verse. This is how I have started to look for opportunities in my life. And it's very simple. First part, rejoice always. Amen. Okay, that means I'm, I'm in a life of worship. God, you are good. God, this is wonderful. Man, look at those trees. Look at what's going on. Look at that. These things are great, God. And I rejoice in God. The second one is pray without ceasing. And that's just, it's a conversation. Uh, years ago, we had a, um, I had a youth, and they were in our, our leadership. Um, I, I did a leadership course where they would learn how to be mini youth pastors, is what we always talked about. And one of those things they had to do is they had to prepare a sermon. 
And it took them about six months to do this because my sermons are very... It might not seem like that, but there is a lot that goes into it. Um, and so some of you are laughing. You're like, yeah, I agree. Um, and then they give it to the, to the group. They don't give it to the teens. They give it to the leadership group, the other people in that course. And one of them had this sermon about amen. Now, what they said was not right. But what their point was, was good. And their point was, let's not say amen because the conversation hasn't stopped. Right? And so we corrected it. But what was good about it was too often we think, now that I've said amen, I'm done talking to God. And it's not. Prayer is a continual conversation with God. The amen is, so let be, or be. It really is good for when we say it together because we agree with what it's saying, right? And so, but we have to get this understanding that prayer is just a conversation that keeps going. You know? Yeah. Well, but what I'm saying is too often we get into this idea that that's the end, right? But it's not because it's a conversation and God's always listening. So why not talk, right? Uh, Best ear to listen to, right? Um, But it's also in a two-way conversation. We'll get to that in a little bit. Um, The last one here is, and give thanks in all circumstances. Right? Give thanks in all circumstances. So no matter what's going on, your package, you're in line at the post office, and now you have to stand there for 45 minutes, still give praise. Right? All right? So it's it's those things as I can give praise in everything because in all things God is good. And so I can continue to give praise even when I'm going through the worst of situations. And what's interesting at the end of this verse, right, it says this, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So what is the will of God for you? This is the one thing that people, what is the will of God for me? The will of God is to rejoice in Him, to pray, to keep in communication with Him, and to thank Him for all things. How easy is that for the will of God? So now if the will of God is the most important thing to me and I trust His will, I'm going to look for opportunities to share. Right? And so now I'm putting the rubber to the road. I'm getting out onto the road right now. Is I, I believe the will of God is the most important thing. I trust His will. And now I'm saying, God, opportunities, please. But if we don't get to that point... That's when I've seen people do things like, well, they'll say things like, I don't hear God. I don't feel God. And we're going to continue to feel those things and think those things because we're struggling with the opportunities. Notice Barak. Barak, he didn't get to see the glory that God intended for him. God intended him to be that final verse, if we want to say it like this, to be that final verse in that song, but he didn't because he didn't take the opportunities God placed squarely in front of him seriously, and he bucked them. And so that victory, that glory went to someone else. Or in the first service, um, the last song we sung was Victory in Jesus. And there's a point in that song where it says, um, he plunged me to victory. That's a great, like, 
like if you want to think of it in your head, just being plunged. To vic- that is what God desires for His people. That they would be plunged in <laughs> Um, and the water surrounds you completely. That's God's intention for the disciples' life, is to have this victory surrounding. But too often we say, oh, but God. And we don't take the opportunities He presents us seriously. And so we need to. We need to act on the will of God. Because just saying we believe in the will of God, just saying we trust God, is not what God has called us to. He's called us to do okay so my challenge for you this week is very simple i don't know if you've noticed that all the challenges start at your door okay and so this week i want to challenge you when you reach that door when you're about to go out for the day to say a simple prayer of something like you don't have to say this exactly i know it's written down but it's just like this god i'm ready for the opportunities today Show me and help me to achieve those by your Holy Spirit because I can't do it by myself. I mean, how simple. And then just wait for five minutes at your door. You might look kind of weird. You don't have to open it. I'm not saying you have to open it. So all your neighbors go, why are they just standing there, weirdos? You just, before you go out, Lord, I I want the opportunities. Help me see them and help me do them. And then wait five minutes because God speaks. And just wait for Him to say, because there's been times when I've stopped at my door and prayed a prayer like that, and God's like, oh, don't worry. (laughs) And then I go through the day, and I end at that same door. I go, wow, a little less (laughs) tomorrow, please. He goes, don't worry about it. You know, it's just something just quick. And so I want to encourage you, because God, there are so many opportunities out there that God presents us that we just... So, and I, I want to give you a couple of feet to that, okay? Just a couple of feet. It can be as simple as this, okay? Um, it was brought up as the, the post office in the first service. That's why I shared it. But I brought up um, something like uh, at the dollar store. You know, we have a couple dollar stores like Dollar General. They always seem like they're out in chaos, okay? And during this time, at places of food, uh, all these different places... Um, you can see that the people who are working are just overwhelmed. Yeah, they're just dealing with a lot. How simple it would be to go up to them and say, you know what, I want to encourage you that you're doing a good job, that God loves you, and I pray that God's blessing would be upon you. Okay? How, how long was that? 10 seconds? 20 seconds? That could impact their life. Yeah. Yeah, it could be just as they're doing, and they're like, man, it's really hard. And you'd be like, you know, I see that. I want you to know that Jesus loves you. And that through this, He can get you through that. I just want you to know that. So be encouraged. Okay? And that might be the seed that they hold on to, and they're like, what is this Jesus talk? You know, the people of God need to be the light. Right? We are called to be the light. And so why not simple acts of love? to people that we might never ever see again. But that might be that seed that's planted that grows into a great faith. And you might see that person and someday they might be the Billy Graham of tomorrow. Just because, and they can look back and they can say, I was just encouraged by a believer and I sought that God because of it. And so, it's simple things. But point people back to Jesus. 
That's one of our four pillars of this church. To be loved by God, to lift Him up in worship, to locate uh, the needs around us, and to point everyone back to Him. Those are the four foundations of this church. And so I want to encourage you this week to be an encourager. To look for the opportunities God has for you. Alright, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much because you're a good God. Where can we turn but to you? When all these things in our world seem to be so falling apart, but you are the Alpha, you are the Omega Jesus. And so we just praise you that you are such a good and glorious God. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters in here that we would look for opportunities in our lives where we would say, there's God moving, I want to be a part of that. So that, not for our glory, but for yours. Because any glory we get, let us turn it back over to you, because you are worthy. And so, Lord, just use us. We are the arrows in your quiver. And, Lord, use us for every Holy Spirit, that we would be empowered to do the things that you would have us do by your will, trusting in you fully. And so we praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.